It was weird how many times Al Capone came up in my research. One source said the period of prohibition famously saw figures like Al Capone take advantage of money laundering, contributing to the modern understanding of the term. No, Al Capone went to jail because he didn't pay taxes on his dirty money. One of the primary things you have to do to make dirty money look clean is you pay taxes on it. So really, when you think about it, the main way Al Capone contributed to the modern understanding of laundering money was by not laundering his money. If you'd like to earn CPE credit for listening to this episode, visit earmarkcpe.com. Download the app, take a short quiz, and get your CPE certificate. Continuing education has never been so easy. And now, on to the episode. Hello, and welcome to Oh My Fraud, a true crime podcast where our criminals launder their money but can't clean their conscience. I'm Greg Kite. And I'm the real-life inspiration for Marty Bird. <laughs> I, I really wish I knew who that was. Did you not watch Ozark? No. Oh, okay. Well, some people listening to the show will get that reference. Okay. And, right it's, appro- and it's appropriate for this episode. Yeah. But your real name's Caleb Newquist. I'm Caleb Newquist. Yes. Yeah. So Caleb. Yes, sir. <laughs> Before <laughs> we get into it, uh, I, I like we do. Uh, I would like to read a listener review real quick. Okay. As we have been want to do as of late. Sure. Uh, this come this one comes from bookkeeper Jenna, who says, "Love these guys. Binged season one like a true nerd, just for fun. Pumped for more. Keep it coming." See, it is true. People listen to the podcast just because it's a fun podcast and not necessarily because they're up against the deadline and have to get 14 more CPE credits in in the next 36 hours. And if you like Oh My Fraud, please take a minute to write us a review. It might help more true nerds stumble upon the show. We also want everybody to know that we are more than just disembodied voices inside your podcast app. We also take this show on the road. So if your firm has an in-house training or an event needs a keynote presentation that's ridiculously fun and ridiculously informative and ridiculously clean, we can be ridiculous pros. We can. We can keep it clean. Let us know and we can do that for you. Yep. If you're interested in hiring us for your event, send us an email at ohmyfraud at earmarkcpe.com for pricing and availability. Now, Caleb. Yes. Changing subjects. I am very interested in this because for some reason, this is always fascinating me. Have you ever noticed a specific business in your city? Everybody has one. Everybody, everybody drives by these all day long, but a specific, a specific business in your city that's been there like forever. And that looks like it should have gone out of business like 20 years ago, 30 years ago, something like that. But, but the thing just stays open. And and it, this could be a, a business where you live now or where you grew up or something like that. But just one of those things where all the time you just go, how? how? Yeah. How is that it's not? Why is that a business? And how do they pay their rent? I gotcha. Yeah. You, so you got, you, got some, you got one? I got one. Yeah. No. And I'm going to be careful because I don't want to dox. I don't want to dox the business. Uh, you know, you know, l- legal peril and whatnot. Uh, but there is a uh, there is a costume shop that is near where I live. 
And it, it definitely kind of fits this criteria. It's, 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 it's been around so long. It's, it's uh-huh. been around, it's, it's been around way longer than I've lived in the area. And it's on this huge lot. It has this huge parking lot and it's just hard to believe that some asshole hasn't come along and just raised the whole thing to build like fucking luxury condos or something. Oh, right. Yeah. Right, yeah. And, but, but it's also, it's a costume shop. Like, 99% of their business is concentrated in one month. There's a reason they have pop-up Halloween stores. Yeah. You just don't need costume shops 12 months out of the year. Right. Right. And so anyway, it's as far as I can tell. And like, there's never, there's never cars in the parking lot. That's always a giveaway you for know? these business. And so I, I, I just don't know. Maybe, maybe in, and, and again, if I was maybe, you, you know, if I needed to know, maybe I'd just walk in there and be like, so how do you, how do you, how do you make this work, fellas? You know, right. or whatever. Right. I've never done Tell that. me your business plan here at, right. here at uh, 12 month costume shop <laughs> supply incorporated. Right. Right. But I'm a chicken Did shit. Did I dox him? Was that the name? No, that's not the name. But, oh, but it was close. But I am a chicken shit. So I'm not going to go in there and ask him <laughs> like how they make it work. But I'm yeah. sure, I'm sure there's a reasonable explanation, uh, you know, that's kind or, of. Or maybe not, <laughs> or maybe not. Uh, I don't know. I, don't I know. what about uh, you, Greg? I got, I'm, I, I'm sure you have one in oh, mind. Oh my gosh! I I was it was one of those things where like, have you ever have you ever been asked a question and you can't answer because there's too many answers running around? <laughs> like uh-huh. you know, there's there's too many things that are going to fit this bill. Uh, so you kinda, like my you daughter like, asking me, Daddy, have you ever been embarrassed? Yes, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So, so I, so for real, there was just one day I happened to be driving around my town and I was like going, Oh, I got to look for one of those and immediate. And I immediately drive, drove past the right one. And I'm absolutely going to dox this business. It's called a one vacuum and sewing. It's been in the same place for longer than I've lived in Utah. So over it's over three decades this place has been there and, and and like you said with the costume shop i have never seen a single car in its parking lot yeah and and now granted uh provo utah which is where this business is just i'm, I'm the next city over but provo uh is a very crafty and a very uh, uh housekeeping e uh city so I could see a demand for sewing machines and vacuum cleaners possibly being slightly higher than uh, elsewhere in the country. Sure. But I cannot believe that there is enough specific sewing machine and vacuum business to keep that place alive, especially because like, like if if you had to if you had to buy a vacuum cleaner right now, what, what, where would you go? Well, Bed Bath and Beyond went bankrupt, so right. Uh, fuck. Uh, maybe the Dyson website. Okay, okay. <laughs> I, I'm me. I go Target or Amazon, depending sure. on if I want it. Depending on how quickly I needed the vacuum cleaner. Right. It's okay. one, one. I would. I would not go. I'm going to go to A1 Vacuum and Sewing for for anything ever. So, but what if you so, had a vacuum and that you wanted it fixed? Isn't A one vacuum and sewing the place you would take it to get it fixed? 
It is, but haven't you tried to fix enough stuff where you're like, oh, I could have bought a brand new one for an extra 15 bucks over what I just got this old one fixed Yes, for. of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's why, no, okay. I would not do that. Okay. And again, I'm going to say that over the past 30 years, our collective culture has become more of a disposable culture than it was even back in 1992 when I first rolled into Provo, Utah. Yes. So... Um, so I, so because of that, I've got to assume that a one vacuum and sewing has to be a front for the Mormon mafia. And that's just, that's my conclusion <laughs> that I've made. And now that we've settled that, um, our attorneys will be requesting copies of this podcast and, uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't see how there's anything legally wrong with what we did by questioning how a business stays in business. We didn't, we didn't. I well okay I guess I did say that I'm convinced it's a front for the Mormon mafia that could <laughs> there could be some sort of uh what is it libel is that no it's not that's slander. slander I think I think it's slander cuz I said it with my mouth and didn't write it with my pen um so yeah but uh but but, but still the, come on yeah I hear you I understand I understand yeah. your skepticism I also, okay. I also, it makes me think of like when I lived in New York city, there were always places where you'd be walking around and you, you know, like you, when you live in New York city, you kind of stick to your own neighborhood for the most part. And, um, and, and yeah, there are, there are businesses where you're just like, what's that all about? You know, it's like, yeah. what's, what's, what's going on there? And, yeah. the, and, 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 you know, you know, the rent, if it was a regular business, you know, they'd be paying through the nose and rent and you're just right. like, they're not making they can't they're whatever they're doing in there isn't covering that right so, right right anyway. I, I spent a couple of summers in los angeles mm -hmm. and uh and and it, when you're in los angeles you're always wherever you're going you're driving through a cd at some point you're driving through a cd part of there's oh yes. there's no right there's no way to get from one part of la proper to another part of LA proper without going through some place where you're going, I would never walk along this street. But then there's like a fucking pet store. <laughs> yeah. It's like who's who's gonna stop here to buy a puppy? Yeah. Not a goddamn person is gonna do that. <laughs> Nobody is gonna do that. So if it's not obvious, uh, because we haven't made it obvious yet, uh, today's episode is about money laundering. Yeah, we've been interested in this topic for a while, uh, really since we've been doing the podcast, because it seems like almost every case we talk about, uh, it involves money laundering. So buckle up, because today you get to learn everything you've ever wanted to know about money laundering. First off, I feel like we got to just get a good working definition of money laundering. And uh, the one that I found that I like the best comes from Grant Thornton Insights, uh, which I'm sure you're familiar with from back in your days at Going Concern. I'm sure. That had I'm to sure come I, up all the time. Yeah, I'm sure I stumbled across it. Right. But, but this was specifically Grant Thornton Malta oh. that had this specific okay. Grant Thornton insights. And it, so here's, here's Grant Thornton Malta's definition of money laundering. It is uh, a process whereby offenders attempt to obfuscate the true nature of the obtained assets from illegitimate activities and to ultimately make such assets appear legitimate. That's a great definition. Is it a great definition? But, 
It's got so many big words. <laughs> it's got just lots of big me... words. Like I yeah, feel like it but... could be it could be a uh, little more accessible. It could be. It could. It could we could. We could make it more uh, on on the Greg Kite level. Sure. Or even he got money. Got money from doing something illegal, and you trying to make it look like you got it from not doing something illegal. There you go. Okay. Bingo. All right. That's that is better. Yep. Uh, so, but but what's crazy is that just finding that definition, yeah, uh, took me down this this weird money laundering rabbit hole that was very it was very fun, very fun. Okay. Because uh, because. I was like, Malta, that's ringing a bell, probably from some movie or TV show that I saw. Yeah. But I was like, doesn't Malta have a big organized crime situation? And it turns out it absolutely does. <laughs> because according to a Malta Today article from October 2023, quote, Malta is home to various criminal networks, including loose domestic organizations engaged in fuel smuggling, illegal fishing, human trafficking, money laundering, drug trafficking, illegal gambling, and assassinations, acting both on their own and in collaboration with foreign groups, which is amazing that, is... that they're pushing illegal fishing and assassination in the same list. So based on on that little clip from Malta today, yeah, I guess the Grant Thornton Associates in Malta <laughs> probably have a need for specific education and guidance regarding money laundering. Makes sense to me. But Caleb, yeah. that's where it even got crazier because that same Malta Today article also referred to this thing called the Global Organized Crime Index Report oh. that ranks it ranks all 193 United Nations member states according to their organized crime situation. All so right. if you're ranked number one, that means that you're, you have a lot of organized crime. Hella corrupt. And, Hella, 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 organized, hella crime. organized crime. Okay. Gotcha. So it's like the, it's just incredibly organized and so criminal. And then if you're 193, you're, you're like, that's Eden. It was like the Garden of Eden was the 193. I gotcha. Mean, it, the Garden of Eden is still seeking United Nations membership, but once That's, it attained, you, you know. Yeah. I mean, so, so, but, but, so if I may, if I may, what was the number one country for organized crime? A number, number one country for organized crime was Myanmar. Okay. Formerly known as Burma. Yeah. One of the, I, I believe the very first episode of Anthony Bourdain's Parts Unknown uh, on was CNN. Was Myanmar? He, he, yeah, he got, and it was, it, it's an amazing, I don't know how much of an Anthony Bourdain fan you are. I'm a freak. Okay. When it comes, I've watched I've never watched. It. I've never watched any of his shows. It's it's amazing because they okay. just, it, they just opened, uh, at that point, they had just opened Myanmar up to foreign journalists. Oh, okay. And so he was one of the first people on the ground there and he did the full Anthony Bourdain treatment and it was it was uncomfortable him talking to journalists in the country because it was like I think these people are going to die as soon as the episode as oh. soon as the episode airs there because like it was it was such a, a I mean just in terms of the governmental oppression on the people it was pretty crazy so the fact that it's number one on the Global organized crime index report does not surprise me Yeesh. a bit. You know what? Yeesh. I still wouldn't yeah. have got. I, I still wouldn't have guessed it. That you wouldn't have. No, no. Okay. No. I, I would have. I, I. I don't know what I would have guessed, but it wouldn't have been Myanmar. Yeah, definitely not surprising to me that it was those Myanmar. 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 
Myanmar. Myanmar. Okay. Burma. Somebody's going to correct us. Yeah. Please, please do. It's so much easier to say something like the Burmese jungle. You know what I mean? Oh, that is. That is. I I would like you, please just write a one-star review. We'll read it uh, at the top of an episode sometime. And uh, I mean, this also tracks with our, uh, you know, our, 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 our substandard geography. (laughs) That's true. It absolutely does. So, uh, here's now. Here's your the next question. Please yes. just humor me. Guess I uh, where Malta ranked from one to 193. Oh, uh, one being the most, the most organized crime. 193 being the least organized crime. Where do you think well, Malta? Gosh, from ranked? from everything you've said so far, uh, it's got to be top ten, Greg. No, it's 109. What? It's it's even though they have people doing illegal fishing and uh, fuel smuggling. Yes. <laughs> it's, yeah, I mean that's that's some crazy shit, but it's still 109 wow. out of 193. Now, here's what makes that crazy: the United States is number 67, ah. is what it is. Ah, that means that we are 52 countries more organized crimey than Malta, which is super organized crimey. Hmm. So uh, that should put things into decent perspective uh, in terms of what our need is to be more informed about money laundering, what it is, how it occurs, what we need to do in response to it, that sort of thing. Um, but uh, in my defense, in yes. Malta's defense, sure, uh, the report does specifically call out Malta as, quote, an attractive environment for money to be laundered through the formal financial sector. So clearly, the report even felt it was important for when they were talking about the Southern Europe sector to, to uh, point out the multi, I, it almost felt like it's like, Hey, just so, if you're reading this report, cause you need like a, a Yelp review uh, for <laughs> laundering your money, Malta, not a bad choice, not a bad choice, but this episode isn't completely about organized crime. It's not about organized crime per se. It's about money laundering. The sources we found in our research say that money laundering has been around for about as long as money has been around. And um, I didn't uh, look up the origin story on money, but it's been around for a while. Yeah. Uh, The first records we have of money laundering date back to 2000 years ago. Around the time Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Chinese merchants were laundering their money in order to avoid taxes and to hide the fact that they were ignoring regional trading bans. Listen, the... The, the the Magi came from the East, so we don't know where, maybe they came from China. Right. Maybe it was Chinese merchants right. who were trying to, how did we say it? Uh, uh, obfuscate the true nature of the, obtained abs, of the obtained assets from illegitimate activities. Oh. And maybe they're like, if we give these to a baby. Right. Then who's going to say, who's, who's going to say, who's going to think we stole them? Right. Oh. If we give them to the savior of the world. Of course, we must have gotten them yeah. from our jobs. That really changes my whole perspective on gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's I'll tell you, that's the uh, that's the that's the mafia's go to uh, myrrh, myrrh. <laughs> <laughs> I got I got all this money. What do I need? Here, move just, it, move it through go, some take, myrrh. Take it to our. We got a myrrh. We got guy. a myrrh guy. Take it to the myrrh guy. He'll make it right. All right. Hey, folks. Caleb Newquist here, co-host of Oh My Fraud. 
If you're an advertiser or marketer who wants to reach an engaged audience of accounting and finance professionals, why not advertise on Oh My Fraud? Use our self-service ad platform to browse our inventory and book the slots that fit your marketing budget. From there, it will only be a matter of time before you hear us telling our listeners your company's story. Head over to ohmyfraud.com slash sponsor to get your campaign started. That's ohmyfraud.com slash sponsor. Fast forward a couple of millennia, the modern era of money laundering was defined during prohibition in the United States. Before prohibition, organized crime focused on gambling, prostitution, loan sharking, extortion, and protection rackets. But then in January of 1920, the production, distribution, and sale of alcohol suddenly became illegal and the mob suddenly hit its heyday. Fun fact, in the United States, the consumption of alcohol was never illegal under federal law. And you'll have to remind me, Greg, which amendment to the Constitution? 14th? Negative. 14. Oh, what was it? What was it? Guy who wrote his senior paper on prohibition? Uh, 20th? 23rd? I think it was the 20th. Quick Google search. 18th. The 18th. And the oh, 21st we were... and the 21st rescinded it. Rescinded Be- because it. Because so, there's a famous brewery in San Francisco, uh, San Francisco called the 21st, 21st Amendment Brewery. Oh, nice. So that's how I can keep that one straight. But Well, well played brewery in San Francisco. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so So here's a great quote from the Mob Museum's website. Quote, by the early 1920s, profits from the illegal production and trafficking of liquor were so enormous that gangsters learned to be more, quote, organized than ever, employing, among other things, lawyers and accountants. Now, enormous illegal profits created enormous demand for money laundering. One method that that became popular among mobsters was cash-only laundromats. Now, just to be clear, our sources specifically said, quote, cash only laundromats, but we're talking about the 1920s. So I'm really not sure what kind of or other forms of payment could have been made. Right. Can you barter? I don't think you can barter. No, I think bartering laundromat. was out of favor by that time. But right. also Jennifer Garner and Samuel L. Jackson weren't hawking Capital One cards either. So like, right. And, and I think back in 1920, a Bitcoin was actually just a little piece of a coin. (laughs) Yeah, correct. Many people believe the widespread use of laundromats is where the term money laundering came from, but they're wrong. It didn't originate in the jazz age. It came from another time, also known for its music, but also from a scandal so big, every other scandal would be compared to it. The music was disco, the decade was the 1970s, and the scandal was Watergate. Turns out I have never given a shit about the Watergate scandal. And as a result, to prepare for this episode, not only did I have to learn about money laundering, I also had to learn about Watergate. And after reading more about it, I even care less about it now. Uh, Watergate was a scandal that's so big that people often refer to it as the deflate gate of the 1970s. A uh, bunch of dumb shits broke into the National uh, Democratic National Committee headquarters, which was located inside the Watergate office building in Washington, D.C., which was also a hotel somehow. That's always been and weird to me. Like, why? What, that it, yeah. 
Yeah. Why well, is it also a hotel? I mean, I guess it's a building and they could be both, but that's, I don't get it. <laughs> like, that's, is it a comp? Is it like a complex? Are there multiple buildings? Like, what is The only it? thing I could think of is offices on the ground floor and hotel, above, but even, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I it, guess that makes sense. Cause I like, I worked at a building that was all, there was a hotel on one side and then there's commercial space on the other. So I guess that works, but I just, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's a, yeah. It, does, it, does, it was a different time. Caleb. Different. It's a different time. <laughs> different time. All right. Uh, and anyways, so tell me, Greg, tell me more about these dipshits. Well, I'd love to. The aforementioned dipshits were caught going through files and attempting to plant listening devices uh, in the Democratic National Committee headquarters. And all of this happened on June 17th, 1972, when I was exactly 26 days old. Oh. And five days later, when I was exactly one month old, President Richard Nixon said he had nothing to do with it and knew nothing about it. Oh my God, I remember it like it was 51 years and eight months ago. Here's a quote. Great quote by a great article published by FTI Consulting. In addition to confiscating burglary tools and wiretapping gear, the arresting officers at the Watergate seized $6,500 in new $100 bills, most of which had sequentially ordered serial numbers. The FBI traced the bills to the Republic National Bank of Miami, where one of the burglars, a former CIA agent named Bernard Barker, maintained an account. So investigators obtained bank records showing that Barker had deposited five checks totaling a little over $100,000. One of the five checks was from an account belonging to the chairman of Richard Nixon's Midwest Campaign Finance Committee. Uh-oh. So despite Nixon's denials, this incontrovertibly tied the burglars to the Nixon campaign as a result, money laundering became a big part of the Woodward and Bernstein Watergate articles, and the expression money laundering began its widespread use. Did you know that, smarty pants? I didn't. And I guess I you, wonder how they landed on money laundering and scare quotes. And you know, it it's, isn't. It, it's so because you're taking dirty money and making and you're just washing money. it and you're just washing I think, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think okay. that's it. Is I mean, I think the idea of money being dirty money has probably been a. I think that's predated the the concept of money laundering. Sure. Yeah. Dirty okay. Money, I, I got you're you. making it clean money. I think that's where it is. You're right. You're right. I'm Laundromats dummy. be damned. Right. That that thing about the sequential uh, bills is just so ridiculous. <laughs> like. Wait, what do you mean? Well, you just mean that because they, that they're sequential, like the numbers on them, they're just like, they came off the printer and they just right. took them. And right, right, like, right. Um, this isn't weird. <laughs> right. Well, and it makes sense though, why in so many movies they're like, I need the ransom to be a non-sequential. Non-sequential bills. Because yep. of, it's because yep. of Watergate. Yep. So many, this, this scandal changed the landscape forever. Caleb, I don't know if you understand. I mean, I know you also don't give a single shit about the Watergate scandal, but this was a big <laughs> fucking deal, man. I don't even know how I can convince you of that at this point. Oh, I'm convinced. I okay. actually think I, I'm actually pretty fascinated with Watergate. Right. And like I said before, I still don't care about it at all. <laughs> Fantastic. So, 
But what? But listen, what makes this especially interesting, even ironic, is that just two years earlier, President Richard Nixon had signed into law the Bank Secrecy Act that was designed to prevent this exact kind of thing from happening. The Bank Secrecy Act is also known as the Currency and Foreign Transactions Reporting Act, but it probably should be known as anything but the Bank Secrecy Act because it forces banks in the United States to not be so secret. It's more like the Bank Snitching Act, actually. There are three main requirements of the Bank Secrecy Act. Banks need to file what's called a currency transaction report on anyone who engages in a cash transaction exceeding $10,000. A fun fact. Oh. I got one of those filed on me. Oh, I, yep. I, I I think I I'm sure you know this. I own a 1973 Ford Bronco. It's I do know that. Yes, one of my prized possessions. Yes. I bought it for thirteen thousand two hundred dollars, and uh, I had to pay for it in cash. So I had to go to my bank, and I had to and I had to say, "Hi, I would like thirteen thousand two hundred dollars in cash, please." And they're like, "Yeah, that seems weird. Here, fill out this form." So I yeah. So uh, there was extra paperwork. Uh, I got put on a government watch list, I'm sure. And I also got depressed at how small a stack of bills was uh, for $13,200. I was like expecting a briefcase and it was like a, it was like a one fat envelope. Is right. All it's just it 130. Was. It's just 132 hundreds, right? It, it was so depressing. And that that was that's the most cash I've ever seen in my whole life. You want, in one place. Did you did did you think you were gonna walk out of there with like a with a with a briefcase like handcuffed to your wrist? Like a duffel I was thinking duffel bag, a duffel oceans sure. eight style. Sure. Or, yeah. So and you just got a fat envelope. Yeah, I did. Yeah. It was yeah. Nothing right. makes you feel poorer than the most cash you've ever seen in your life <laughs> in one <laughs> in the just one envelope. an envelope. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh judging by the research. You probably didn't end up on a watch list. Uh, here's what Wikipedia says about it. And we all know that Wikipedia is the ultimate authority on federal legal re- regulations. So just hang in there. Okay. okay. A single currency transaction report or CTR for short filed for a client's account is usually of no concern to the authorities while multiple CTRs from varying institutions or suspicious activity reports. We're going to talk about those in a minute suggests that activity may be suspicious. Gotcha. Got so it? one so one time I withdraw that that money, no eh. I get a pass. Right. Yeah. Pat go you're fine, kite. Right. Don't worry about it. Right. Unless you have like 15 Ford Broncos. Oh they're they're gonna be like, why? And you're and you're paying for paying for all of them in cash. Right. And they'd be like, wait, you you bought you bought 15 Ford Broncos? And you'd be like, yeah. And you pay right. for them all in cash, right? They'd be like, yeah. Then they'd be like, "Come with me to jail." Right? Okay, weird. Right? Now. Which is crazy because that we've that got actually, some more questions. Right? Which is weird because I don't know if you know this story, but did you know Penn Jillette of Penn and Teller fame? Yes. He he started as a street magician, okay, and a street performer, yeah. And he he made an ungod like a ridiculous like I think he made over a hundred thousand dollars in a year as wow. a as a street performer and he took his he went to a cpa and was like hey i need to pay taxes on 
my money that on my six figures I made as a street performer and the accountant said, get the fuck out of my office. <laughs> Seriously. He was like, if I, if, if I even try to, to file a tax return for you for a hundred thousand dollars cash you made as a street performer, then I will be in trouble and you will be in jail. So get the fuck out. And so he didn't pay taxes on his, on his clean on his clean money funny yeah it's a good story it is so that thing called a suspicious activity report yeah that requires banks to report surprise suspicious activity what <laughs> yes so basically if it's a if a customer's activity suggests that they might be laundering money the bank needs to file a suspicious activity report got it yeah there's also the F bar. They call it F bar or I think, F bar. I think it's F, I think it's the F bar. Okay. Yeah. So that is the that is a foreign bank account report. Anyone with foreign bank accounts that collectively have a balance of more than ten thousand dollars are required to file an F bar or F bar. F bar. It's to us. It's F bar. F bar. Yeah. But this might also sound familiar to our tax preparers out there because you also have to report these accounts on Schedule B of your 1040. Yep. Very Sarah, familiar to me. Sh shout out for the tax folks. But the reason why we're doing an entire episode about money laundering is because so many of the perpetrators in the cases we look at are charged with money laundering. Yep. The Bank Secrecy Act is considered anti-money laundering legislation, but it doesn't criminalize Money laundering. Money laundering doesn't become illegal until 1986 with the passage of the Money Laundering Control Act. The Money Laundering Control Act is what made money laundering a federal crime. It was passed in 1986. Back to the Future has been around longer than money laundering has been a federal crime. This law prohibits people from engaging in certain financial tra transactions with proceeds that were generated from certain specific crimes, which are known as specified unlawful activities. And Caleb, there are over 250 specified unlawful activity crimes. So let's play a little game. Okay. Uh, real quick. Think of a crime. Sure. Yep. Yep. That's a specified unlawful activity. <laughs> Great. The law also requires that the person engaged in those financial transactions has the intent to conceal the source, ownership, and or control of the money. It also gives a very broad definition of financial transaction. So if I mm -hmm. give you a wad of cash, that's considered a financial transaction under the Money Laundering Control Act. Oh. It's not I bought stock. It's not I opened a certificate of deposit right it's uh, it's i it's you handed money. it's you yep. handed me a fat envelope of of hundred dollar bills of 132 100 bills that's yeah. enough to be a financial transaction yeah which makes sense though too to me it does but but for this crime that's like i said it's very broadly defined which i think as we'll get to is part of the reason why this is such a go-to crime for uh, prosecutors to throw at uh, fraudsters. Mm. But also, 
this makes money laundering attack on penalty. Okay. Because if it's a crime to engage in financial transactions with proceeds that came from a crime, that means someone has to be convicted of a crime before anyone can be convicted of the crime of money laundering. Oh. So a pile-on offense, okay. as I would like to call it. Okay. Then, in uh, 1992, they passed the Annunzio Wiley Anti-Money Laundering Act, which we only barely care about because all it did was uh, it beefed up the regulation on the bank side. Hmm. So basically, the Bank Secrecy Act that you talked about yep. uh, that started in 1970 and the Annunzio Wiley Anti-Money Laundering Act that started in 1992, those make it illegal for banks in the United States to be friendly to money launderers. Oh. The, yeah. So we can't. That's why <laughs> Switzerland has Swiss bank accounts, but no one deposits their money uh, in any spy movies in just an American bank account. At a, at a, at a Bank of America in St. Louis. <laughs> right. Citibank. You're not. No spies. No spy right. activity at Citibank. Right. Uh, and the AI program that we used to help us with the research for this episode brought up a few more laws that were established, at, lead, at least in part, to combat money laundering, including the Patriot Act that was passed right after 9-11 and the establishment of the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, which happened in 2004. Uh, but those are all super boring, which proves that humans are still better than computers. So how exactly do you go about getting convicted of money laundering? It just takes three easy steps or maybe five easy steps, possibly six or seven. It all kind of depends how you count. First off, if you want to get convicted of money laundering, you need to know that the money in question is the proceeds of an illegal activity. That's step one, but step one has two parts. The money has to have actually come from an illegal activity, and you have to know that the money came from an illegal activity. So if someone gives you money to launder that they earn through their completely legitimate paper route, you can launder it all you want, but you can't be convicted of money laundering. You can't clean what ain't dirty. Also, if you do a bunch of convoluted financial transactions with a bunch of money that you for real don't know came from an illegal activity, you can't be convicted of money laundering. Right. Unless you're a bank, then you should have known that the only reason to engage in a bunch of convoluted financial transactions is to launder money. Step two is that you actually have to engage in a financial transaction. This can include a purchase, a donation, a loan, or like we said before, just handing somebody a sack of cash. But this step has a sub-step because you have to also engage in the financial activity with the intent to conceal or disguise the illegal origins of the money. So let's say you're an assassin and you buy a house all cash, but you disclose at the closing that the cash you're using to purchase the house was earned from murder, then you're all good. Yes. Usually loan officers just breeze right past the, this house is not being purchased with blood money disclosure form, but it's a very important form. So that brings us to step three slash five. In order to be convicted of money laundering, the money has to be shown to have gone through the three steps of money laundering. Step one, placement. 
The money has to get into the financial system. If someone gives you money and you give that money to someone else and that person puts it in a financial institution, then you were involved in the placement step of money laundering. If you take the money to your casino or your breaking bad car wash or your weird A1 vacuum and sewing business and deposit it as if it were revenue from one of those businesses, then you were involved in the placement step of money laundering. Step two is called layering. This is where you use multiple complex financial transactions to conceal the illegal origins of the money. So if you take your assassin for hire money and deposit it in a bank in Luxembourg and use that money as collateral to get a loan from a bank in the Cayman Islands, then you've engaged in the layering stage of money laundering. Step three is integration. This is where you reintroduce the money into the legitimate financial system. So if you use the proceeds of that loan from the bank in the Cayman Islands to purchase a home or to purchase a car or to purchase A1 vacuum and sewing, then you've been involved in the integration stage of money laundering. And one thing to keep in mind is that taking the illicit cash directly to your casino or your Breaking Bad car wash or your weird A1 vacuum and sewing business, that can be considered placement and layering and integration. Also keep in mind, if you want to be convicted of money laundering, that doesn't mean that you have to have committed the underlying criminal activity. You don't even have to be directly involved with the underlying activity. That's right. You just need to know that there was an underlying criminal activity. So there you have it. Those are the three or five or eight steps required to be convicted of the federal crime of money laundering. And if you're taking the quiz for CPE credit, good luck remembering any of that. Okay, Greg, did we learn anything? Yes. Oh. Well, that's it for this episode. Remember... <laughs> Even after you launder your money real good, every bill still carries around 3,000 different types of bacteria on its surface. And also remember, when someone asks you to deposit a bunch of money into a bank in Luxembourg and then transfer it all to the Cayman Islands, just do it and don't ask any questions. If you want to drop us a line, send us an email at ohmyfraud at earmarkcpe.com. And Caleb, where can people find you out there in the internet? You can get me on LinkedIn at my full name, forward slash, backslash. It's just a slash, Caleb Newquist. Greg, where are you? So you can find me on LinkedIn, but if you do direct message me on LinkedIn, please have patience because <laughs> I'm not getting on there very often. But I promise I eventually do read every single direct message that I get on the LinkedIn. Oh, My Fraud is written by Greg Kite and me, Caleb Newquist. Our producer is Zach Frank. Rate, review, and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. If you listen on Earmark, that's where you get the CPE. It's a new year. It's never too early. Get some CPE. Then you don't have to be a basket case come December. It, that, doesn't that sound nice? That sounds nice. It, does. it is. It's marvelous. Yeah. I can speak from firsthand experience. Yeah, are you are you were you normally a basket case in December? For oh no, 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 I mean because of earmark, <laughs> I'm so far ahead that because uh, I this past year wasn't my reporting period, but I've all got almost everything I need for next December when I do have to report. There you go, accountants. Be like Greg. Join us next time for more avarice swindlers and scams from stories that will make you say, "Oh my fraud!" Oh my fraud! <laughs> <laughs>